Hi, and welcome to another podcast from The Human Diver, where we are looking to apply counter-errorism techniques in diving. By that we mean human factors and non-technical skills. Our goal is to give you the knowledge and skills so that your dives are safer and more enjoyable. The podcast is a mixture of short podcasts based on the blogs we have, and longer podcasts, which will be interviews or discussion topics. Show notes will be provided so you can dig deeper if you want. Ready to jump in? Diving is an activity that takes place in a hazardous environment. We have not yet evolved to live in the water, and nor can we survive for very long underwater without some form of mechanical or technical support. Therefore, Darwinism doesn't apply. In addition to drowning, we have other hazards to deal with, such as hypoxia, unconsciousness and death due to lack of oxygen, hyperoxia, including oxygen toxicity-induced seizures, hypercapnia, excessive CO2, entanglement decompression illness being lost underwater or on the surface and the list goes on fortunately these events don't happen very often but they do as we have hazards that could kill us we have to manage the associated risk which is traditionally made up of the likelihood of the event and the consequence of the hazard or harm materializing the problem with the traditional concept of risk is that we don't manage risks when we are diving we are managing uncertainties and there is a difference the classical distinction in economics is between risk, in which the probabilities of various outcomes are known, and uncertainty, in which even the probabilities associated with events are unknown or unknowable. In diving, or any complex environment for that matter, we cannot know what the probabilities for an event are. We can make a guess, but we have very poor data to determine what they are likely to be. The risk I took was calculated, but man, am I bad at math. This quote came up in a presentation about the Plura cave diving accident in which two divers lost their lives after becoming stuck in a cave. The dive team weren't unique. As humans, we are not very good at judging risks, even more so when it comes to low probability, high consequence events. When faced with a novel situation, we try to reduce the uncertainty, make it more certain, by comparing it with previous memories and experiences, and then choosing a course of action that will lead to what we think will happen. We are making educated guesses, and these guesses or gambles are based on three primary heuristics or mental shortcuts, availability bias, representativeness bias, and mirages. Availability bias, events that are more common and relate to large groups of people, or have high levels of emotional value, will be recalled more readily. In addition to this, the more vivid something is, the easier it is to recall. Consequently, when vividness and frequency diverge, the availability heuristic leads us to overestimate the frequency of rare but memorable events, but underestimate the frequency of duller but more common ones. For example, human error is normal, slips, lapses, mistakes and violations, but for most people it is only when we have a catastrophic event that we think about the importance of checklists or the analysis of breathing gas in preventing an adverse event from occurring. Most of the time, the error that has been made was caught before it led to a catastrophic event or the context didn't create a catastrophic situation ACG, not analyzing gas that contained 50%, but fortunately, the divers were above 21 meters. So hyperoxia wasn't an issue, therefore nothing bad happened. As a consequence, we don't think about failures prior to the event, only the adverse outcomes. Representative bias. When people try to work out whether something matches a previous class, in psychology, classes can relate to people, objects, tasks, roles, etc. They use what they already know about the characteristics of objects in those classes to guess which one the test object belongs to. An example I use in my classes 
is an underwater camera person who is doing an 80 meter rebreather dive in poor visibility, strong current and high workloads. I asked the students to describe what happened. Nearly all of them refer to the camera person as a heat. However, the event refers to a story that Becky Kagan shot told for under pressure. At a wider level within diving, some look at diving as safe because of the way it is marketed. Blue waters, clear skies, bright fish, not dark green water, poor visibility, strong currents and dulled colors. How we estimate the numerical value of something is also affected by the reference point or anchor from where we start. There have been numerous case studies of people anchoring their answer based on a randomly allocated anchor e.g. by spinning a wheel of fortune in their presence. This is why it is important for leaders, which includes instructors, not to speak first when it comes to stating difficult or controversial outcomes or plans that need some form of discussion and consensus, e.g. maximum runtime on a dive, maximum decompression, maximum penetration, how long to stay in cold water because their answer will shape others' responses. Generally, we tend not to adjust very far from our anchors. Mirages. This is where we think we have many choices, but we only have one. For example, immediate rewards are much more valuable than delayed rewards of equal or somewhat larger magnitude. Spending money on something shiny for diving now, or saving up getting additional training or a memorable trip away. We are often ignorant of our own emotional reactions, and so tend to believe that we will value a greater reward to be received later more than a smaller immediate reward. However, as the opportunity to get the immediate reward approaches, its perceived value increases dramatically, thereby reducing the apparent effect of the future larger reward. Consequently, the choice between an imminent reward and a delayed one is for most purposes a mirage. This research from Ainsley was built upon by Kahneman and Tversky as part of their work, which led Kahneman to win the Nobel Prize. Tversky had passed away before the award was made. Kahneman and Tversky showed that people are risk-seeking in some situations and risk-averse in others, rather than being risk-averse in all cases as economists would have predicted. Their research showed that subjects tended to be risk-seeking when faced with losses and risk-averse when facing gains. All else equal, in situations of gain, people prefer certain options to uncertain ones and so they choose a sure thing over a gamble when the expected values are the same. A simple example here would be a dive master or instructor who has the choice. Break the standards of the agency, might get caught, or not break the standards and get fired, definite outcome. See Lanny's story in Under Pressure about this very point. This isn't about making gains, making money, it is about losses, not losing a job. The anchor point is important when looking at losses and gains because the effect of gains or losses is not constant. Small changes in probabilities are indistinguishable unless they shift one from uncertainty to certainty or vice versa. People will thus pay more for a reduction of 1% in their chance of getting a dread disease if this moves them from a 1% chance to a 0% chance, but they will pay considerably less for this same 1% reduction if it moves them from a 5% chance of getting the disease to a 4% chance. These last two points could be used to argue why divers and people at large buy shiny stuff rather than invest in education and development. Equipment is tangible, whereas education is vague. Education and development require effort, and we know how cognitively efficient lazy people are. Framing and location or cultural effects. This final point highlights that how we frame a decision or argument can have a huge impact on the decisions made by individuals and groups, as well as the cultural norms. 
Location doesn't just refer to geographical location, but also organizationally. A dive master or instructor might recognize the very real risk of injury or litigation because they are exposed to it every day. But a training agency staff member who does not dive much and doesn't have to make the constant trade-offs and adaptations to remain commercially viable doesn't see the importance of dealing with this messy problem. The simple answer is follow the rules, but the rules don't always and can't always apply. How to address these biases? First off, biases just are. They are often portrayed as negative, but they are also extremely useful. Fundamentally, they reduce our cognitive overhead so we can focus on other elements, especially when we are time limited or perceived to be time limited. Education is a critical factor, but it only works ahead of time or if there is an operational pause, which allows a certain type of thinking to be engaged, system two. This pause is needed because once we are in the tunnel of bias, we are unlikely to spot what is going on outside the tunnel until something happens, and then another bias kicks in, hindsight bias. Daniel Kahneman was asked, given your knowledge about cognitive biases, are you immune to them? He said, no, I am better prepared to know when they are present, but I will still succumb in certain situations. Knowing that if you are time pressured, you have incomplete information, you are fatigued or stressed, or subject to other performance shaping factors or error producing conditions, then we need to slow down. While I'm a huge fan of checklists, they are not a panacea. What they do is purposefully slow us down and force us into system two behaviors. However, they have to be well designed, they have to have a supportive cultural and social environment to be effective, and they have to be role modeled. The education that the human diver provides helps with managing uncertainty, not risk. We don't have a clue what the numbers are when it comes to managing risk, other than to say they are not worth the paper they are written on and people won't use them anyway. A bit like most risk paperwork, However, these numbers provide a comfort blanket, an anchor to determine whether something is safe or not. Safety is a social construction, not an absolute. So is an acceptable level of risk. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more about what was discussed in this episode, head over to the Human Diver website at thehumandiver.com where you will find details about our education programs, the If Only documentary, the book Under Pressure, and the many, many blogs we have published there. If you think others should listen and learn, consider sharing the link. Thank you.